Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1150 in that Bible. You can read along with us. And we're going to have communion in a few minutes, and I'm just going to preach short today because we wanted to participate of communion today, and we wanted to take some time in prayer together as well. So we're doing things a little bit differently today. But I'm going to be sharing about communion, and we do this once in a while. We usually share a little bit whenever we celebrate it, and different streams of the church celebrate communion in different ways. We typically do it once a month here, usually the first Sunday of the month, and we're the second Sunday this month because we were at the park last week. But we want to take some time just to unpack uh, a little little bit about what we do and why we do and why it's important. And uh, there's something that goes on in our culture that is not really that different from any other culture in the history of the world, which is that when family gets together, food is often involved, right? When you get together with your loved ones, uh, there's often, whether it's Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or, or birthday celebrations or whatever, that when we're celebrating something, it's often based around food. And even if we're not celebrating something, even if we're just hanging out, the rhythms of our life as a family in my house, a lot of it ends up being around mealtime and when are we going to sit together and when are we going to eat together. If we're seeing extended family and we're going over to their house, it's not typically, hey, come over from two till four uh, so you miss lunch and miss dinner. It's typically come over for a meal, right? You come over for lunch or come over for dinner. When we're connecting with our church friends, it's come on over for dinner. And so there's so much of life that is based around sitting at a table together and partaking together, eating together sharing together, talking together, discussing together, connecting together. There is something about coming to one table that is very much what families are all about. And as we celebrate communion, uh, and as we take some time to just kind of reflect on that, the word communion, where it comes from, very simply, it's a mashup of two words, the community and the union that we celebrate as a church family. It is the, the communal union of us with Jesus, our connection and our connection uh, with him and with each other, that we are one family and we are uniting together as one family to connect and celebrate the one Lord who has offered one salvation to all of us equally the same. And so we are celebrating when we come to this table, not just what Jesus has done for us, which is often what we emphasize and it's crucial, but we're also celebrating who we are as a family, whoever your church family is, that not only are we celebrating the grace and mercy that have come to us and we're remembering that and reflecting on that, but we are all doing it together. We are remembering together. We are partaking together. We come to one table together. And when we come to the communion table, it doesn't really matter at all who you are in this life, whether you are young or old or male or female or rich or poor or, or mature in the faith or newer in the faith or black or white. There is no distinction. We all come to the one table together to remember the one salvation that was offered to us together. The same salvation is offered to every single person. And it doesn't matter what your station in life is or, or all the things that we as humans use to kind of categorize us and define us. None of it matters. We are all humbled before the table of the Lord. We all come to that place and we all acknowledge equally that we are sinners and we need saving. And there is one salvation offered to us by Jesus, and we partake together equally at the table of the Lord. 
Now let's take a look at our text. We're in 1 Corinthians 11. And the book of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he helped start. And he's moved on in his ministry, but he would check in with the churches. And he's checking in with this church. And if you read the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of problems going on in this church. This is not a healthy, thriving church that you would point to as a great example of what Christianity is supposed to look like. In fact, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is basically the Apostle Paul saying, guys, you need to fix this and fix this and fix this and fix this. And it's actually super encouraging because we see this brokenness and dysfunction in, in the lives of these early Christians. And I go, okay, so I can feel at least a little better about the brokenness and dysfunction in my own life because it's been there since the beginning. And Paul is constantly pulling them to, towards love and towards Jesus and towards getting right with one another and getting right with him. And so he does have a section in this letter where he talks specifically about the Lord's table. He talks specifically about communion. And so that's where we're going to be this morning for a few minutes. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're starting in verse 17. The apostle writes, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. That's a great start to the section right there. There's nothing good I can say about what you guys are doing with the Lord's Supper. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. It is not communion you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment." Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. <laughs> That's such a parent thing. And when I get home, there's going to be more to say about this. But there is, so there's a lot in there, and we're, we're just going to barely skim the surface today. But uh, Paul is having to correct some things that were going on surrounding communion. And so he speaks pretty bluntly and frankly about some things that are going on. And one of the things we need to understand in this passage is communion then actually looks a little different than we do communion now. And you get the sense of it even from this passage. But we know uh, even from the earliest documents of the church history, the earliest pictures of Christian art that we have, that when the church 
church got together, uh, they had what they called love feasts, agape feasts. Agape is one of the Greek words for love, and it spoke of divine love, God's love. And so when the church got together, uh, it was a meal, it sounds like, pretty much every time. That when they got together, it wasn't just a service. They would gather together and they would eat together. Part of eating together at the table was they would celebrate communion together as part of that meal. And we know from some of the early documents that it really was kind of like a potluck. The potluck is not a, you know, a, a relatively modern invention. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And so for people in the church who didn't have a lot, they weren't expected to bring a lot. For people in the church who could provide, they would bring food. And you would all sit at one table together, and you would eat together, and you would fellowship together, and you would celebrate communion together. And again, it didn't matter your station in life or anything. There was food for everybody. Everybody could come and eat. And everybody could eat of the bread of the Lord and drink of the cup of the Lord. And everybody could do that together. And, and as they did that, uh, from there, then they would move into teaching time and, and the rest of their kind of regular service. But it was very much a family thing, right? When families get together, they eat. And so when the family of God would get together, they would eat. And as part of that meal, they would remember that there was a body that was broken to bring us salvation. They would remember that there was blood that was shed to bring our salvation, and they would all participate in this together. And as they are doing that, Paul says in the middle uh, a few verses that we recite or that we read every time we do communion here, verses 23 through 26. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Paul's saying this, I've heard from God on this. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. I'm doing this for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he returns. And so there is a, a reverence with which uh, we should be approaching the table. There's a reverence. And I've been in, in Catholic churches and participated, or at least observed sometimes communion there, uh, what they call the Eucharist as part of the Mass. And uh, we would certainly disagree with the Catholics on some of their theology around communion. However, I am always deeply moved by the reverence with which they treat participating in the body and blood of the Lord. It's not a, you know, five minutes in a service, you know, a million cups clicking. Like it's, it's a holy, holy thing. And they put great weight on it. And, and it's just time for them to remember, you know, I am a sinner. And, and even though I'm saved, I still sin. And sin is still a struggle in my life. And I was saved from that. And, and eternity has been promised me. And, and I am no longer uh, guilt-ridden in my sin. I am no longer carrying the weight of my sin. My eternity is secure. My salvation has been established. And that has come at terrible cost. And so it is good and right to do what Jesus has told us to do, which is remember. Make sure you take time to remember. Do not ever take for granted what was done for you. My body that was broken for you, my blood that was shed for you, Jesus says, remember that. Because that is the only possible, appropriate response 
to when someone's willing to do that for you. On Remembrance Day, we, we typically pause and we remember that there were those who laid down their lives for our sake. And so there's, there's no other possible response to what Jesus has done than to reverently remember and respond with grateful worship for what he has done for us. It is a holy thing that we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. And a big part of that, again, isn't just that Jesus did it for us, but that Jesus did it for the person sitting next to you and the person in front of you and the person behind you. Jesus did it for every single person in this room. And we all come to the one table together and we eat the one bread together and we drink from the cup together because we've all been saved in the exact same way. The same grace and mercy of God has been offered to every single one of us and we celebrate it as family together at the table of the Lord. Now this is not happening in the Corinthian church. Paul is not happy with what they have been doing, and so he needs to correct some things. One of the things that is happening is private suppers, apparently, are going on. He's saying you're not sitting as a family and participating in the Lord's Supper together. You're having your own private thing. And so, I mean, from the very, very beginning, this church was established just years after Jesus walked this earth, and from the very beginning, the church has struggled with cliques, and, and social groups and, and divisions along those lines. People were breaking off, apparently, into their own groups, having their own dinners, and not everybody was invited to them. And Paul is saying that's not what family does. When family gets together, everyone's invited to sit at the table. And so you don't break off into your own social groups and your own different things. Like that's not how you revere the body and the blood that was broken for you. And so Paul is not happy with this. And I have heard this said at every church I've ever been at, uh, including this one, to be honest, that when we come together on Sundays, it's a welcoming place, it's an incredible place, it's a warm place and then service ends and everybody goes off into their own family groups and friendship groups. I had one lady say to me at a previous church, Sunday afternoons are actually pretty lonely for me because I come to church and it's great and then I'm not from here, I don't have any family here and everyone goes off and does their family thing and I'm just kind of left on my own. And so uh, be encouraged, this is not a new problem, it's been there since the beginning. But part of acknowledging it is saying, okay, uh, we, we need to do better. I mean, so there's implications beyond just communion, that as family, we invite people to our table, that we, even if there are people in our circles, and especially if there are those who don't have family or who are not connected to their own family, we invite them to be a part of our family. And so Paul is not happy that there's these divisions and cliques happening within the church. He's also not happy that there's not a lot of sharing going on. He says some are starving, some get drunk, some have more than enough, and some are not getting any. Because there is this division happening, there is not a sharing. And Paul says, I mean, you're, you're humiliating the one among you who doesn't have a lot. You're humiliating that person. You're despising the church of God because you are not uh, treating the table the way it's supposed to be treated, which is really, as Pastor Mesh has said in the past, this great equalizer. No matter who you are or where you're from or what you have or what you don't or what you've done or what you haven't done, there is one table, one salvation, one bread, one cup for everybody. 
Everybody comes to one table. We are equally humbled at the table of the Lord because we are equally sinful and we are equally crying out to the one God for the one salvation that comes by his grace and his mercy. There is nothing about uh, anything that leads us to salvation that any of us can claim anything for ourselves. This is the great equalizer here where we say we all come on our knees and say, I'm a sinner in need of saving. And there is one salvation offered to all of us equally. You're not more saved than another person. It's the same salvation for every single one of us. Andy Warhol, some of you will remember, um, super weird guy, really weird guy. Uh, and back in the 60s especially, became very popular, and he commented on culture and art and, and sort of popular things. And I came across this quote, and I really liked it, uh, from Andy Warhol. He said, you can be watching TV and see Coca-Cola, and you know that the president drinks Coke, Liz Taylor drinks Coke, and just think you can drink a Coke too. A Coke is a Coke, and no amount of money can get you a better Coke than the one the bum on the corner is drinking. All the Cokes are the same, and all the Cokes are good. I like that. <laughs> bum on the corner is maybe not as politically correct as it was in the 60s, but just this idea, he's talking about culture, obviously commercialism, he's weighing in on all of that kind of stuff, but just this idea, there's an equality to it that's kind of cool, right? The Coke I'm drinking is no different than what the Queen of England is drinking, if she drinks Coke, which she probably doesn't, she drinks tea, I guess, but no matter how rich I am, I don't get a better experience with a bottle of Coke, no matter if I'm healthy or sick, like whatever, a Coke is a Coke. And nothing can change that. There's an, an equalizing to it. And interestingly, that's actually exactly what the Bible says about the Lord's Supper. Paul would say elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, because there's one loaf, there is one thing that we are participating in. We who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Now, we literally have many individual ones that we pass around. But, but the picture of it is we are all coming to one table. We are participating in one meal, so to speak, together. And because we do that, it reminds us that we are one family. It reminds us that we are all one. We are all sinners. We are all needing salvation. And we celebrate that at the table of the Lord. And so Paul wraps up saying, when you get together, you should all eat together. None of the clicks, none of the, the haves and the have-nots. Like, we just remember you are family is what he's getting at. Remember you are family. And when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves of that. We're not literally eating a full meal as we do this. It's a symbol of what Jesus has done for us. But this is a family meal every time we do that here together as a church. This is the family coming together, equally acknowledging our sin before the Lord, equally reminding ourselves of the price that was paid to bring us to salvation, equally participating in his blood and in his body, and equally being renewed in that hope of his grace and mercy at work in our lives. We are doing that together. We are uniting with him and receiving from him, but we are doing it together as family. And together is a word we like here at Meadowbrook Church as part of our mission and vision and values are uh, gathering together, learning together, serving together. Uh, and we pick that word together very intentionally because it's the only way we can do this Christian journey. We can only do it together. Even my wife and I, it's not together because we journey, or it's not alone because we journey with Jesus together, but we can't do it there just by ourselves. We need you. 
And you need us, and you need the people sitting all around you. We need to do this together. We are all about gathering together and learning together and serving together. There's a reason we gather on a Sunday morning and listen to a sermon and then try to go out and live it out during the week. I mean, you can listen to a sermon at home, but we value the togetherness of it, that we're all hearing one thing. We're all reading the same passage. We're all getting the same encouragement. We are all stepping out into the same mission. We do that together. And we live this out together. And part of uh, what we value here as a church is just the fact that we acknowledge more and more as we hopefully mature in our faith how little I can do all by myself. How much I need other people in my life. How much I need your gifts, even as you need our gifts. How much I need your encouragement, even as you need our encouragement. Uh, that we can't do this on our own. And so one of the things we're going to do, we're going to participate in communion in just a minute. But after that, we're going to pray together uh, for a little while. And so we've preached shorter and done a shorter worship set today because we wanted to give good time to pray. Pastor Mesh had in his heart that this should be a bit of a day of prayer. And we can pray on our own, and we should, and we need to, and that's part of it. You have your own connection with Jesus, but we can't just do that. You can't just pray on your own, because Scripture tells us over and over again, this word together shows up a lot, including pray for one another. And so one of the things that we've done in the last little while here at Meadowbrook is we've set up some altar ministry at the end of the service. Uh, you hear us say every week, come on forward if you want prayer. we got people here who can pray for you. And I'm just telling you, if I was attending this church and not pastoring on a Sunday morning, I would be up here every single Sunday, because there's always something we could pray for. And you don't need to tell anybody any details. It could be as simple as, I just want God's blessing, or, or pray for my family, or pray for my health. You don't need to open up about anything. But I think a lot of people hold back, uh, either out of nervousness or, or maybe even pride. Of I don't want to acknowledge that I need the help, or, or I'm not wanting to, to stand up there if anyone's looking at me. And I just want to encourage you. Scripture says, God opposes the proud. He gives his grace to the humble. And God is answering prayers at this altar as people are willing to say, doesn't matter if someone sees me, doesn't matter, I'm willing to go and just acknowledge before the Lord I need help with somebody else. There is power in agreement. There is power when we pray together. Sometimes the Lord speaks through other people in ways that we can't hear on our own. It's so important. And so we're going to pray that way in a few minutes. But before we do that, we do want to celebrate this table together. And so I'm going to ask those of you who are serving communion to come on up and join me. And so we are going to pass out these elements. Um, the kids are gone. Usually the kids are here with us, but uh, they won't be participating today. Just in general, uh, just so you know, we don't set an age for kids to participate in communion like some churches do. We just leave that with the parents to decide, and so you can make that call when you feel like your kids are ready. But this table is for anybody who calls Jesus Lord. If you don't attend here regularly, that's okay. If you're visiting with us, that's okay. You're welcome to join uh, if Jesus is Lord and if you are following after him as Lord of your life. So we're going to pass these elements out. Uh, the, the one bread, metaphorically, the one cup, and we'll ask you to hold on to them. And we're going to just have some music playing quietly in the background, and we're going to do what Paul just told us to do. He said a person should examine themselves before they partake. And so it is a good time just to search your soul a little bit. The psalmist prayed, search me, O Lord, and know. And take some time. If there's any sin to confess, 
what a great moment for you to do that. If there's anyone you need to pray for, what a great moment for you to do that. If there's anyone you need to forgive, what a great moment for you to do that. So don't check out. Uh, we're going to participate together. So hold on, and we will all partake together in a few minutes, and then we're going to pray together for a little bit. All right? So Father, I pray in this moment that this will be a holy moment, Lord, as we come to your holy table, as we remember the holy sacrifice that was given to us, and as we remember this holy family that you have called us to as Meadowbrook Church, that we as one family will come together and partake of this table, the one Lord and the one salvation, the grace and mercy that is offered equally to us all. Settle our hearts, Lord. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. Prepare us to receive in Jesus' name.